All right. Uh, about four months ago, um, this phrase came to me, and I like to give titles to these messages, as you probably figured out if you paid attention over the last years. So I had this phrase of either three or four words, depending on how you look at it, but that's all I had, and I thought, well, that'll preach. Uh, but then I had nothing to go with it. Um, I didn't have this at that time. So I was pretty convinced that at some point, in some form or fashion, I would share that, and I was leaning uh, in another direction until last Tuesday night. Uh, Gail and I, as some of you know, are in a home group in Silva. We've been meeting with the same 17 or so people for 22 years. And there was a prophetic word uh, at, our, at our meeting uh, on that Tuesday night. And it had to do with standing. Standing. And uh, so I thought that kind of fits in. Yet, uh, so I had this title, and it's called In the Meantime, and that either is three words or four. In the mean time, and I think we might consider this age that we live in to be kind of a mean time in many, many ways. So what do we do in the meantime while we're in the meantime? And I was pretty convinced that that was going to be the title of this message until last night uh, when Seth Greenlee approached me and said, uh, if you don't have a reference to music or sports, it's not worth listening to. (laughs) No, that's not what he said. (laughs) It may have been what he was thinking, but it's not what he, he's a very gracious man. He did not say that exactly so. That's an exaggeration or an outright lie. All right. But he did say, are you going to mention something about music or, or sports? And I thought, I don't think I have any, anything like that in this. And at that very moment, it came to me, yes, I do. So now I have a new title. Stand by me. Stand by me. God says, stand by me. So with... Uh, Giving props to Ben E. King, Jerry uh, Lieber, and Mike Stoller, who wrote the song, Stand By Me. Stand by me. God is looking for a man and a woman to stand by him. He's looking for a people to stand by him, to stand for him, to stand with him. In this hour, God's always had a people, a remnant, who would stand with him in the need of the day throughout church history. When enemies would rise up and false teachings would rise up, there's always been a man, a woman, a people standing for the truth and not letting that error make much headway. Who's it going to be in this hour? It needs to be the church. Us. But before we stand, there's some other things that need to take place. I'm going to be in the book of Ephesians primarily today, starting in chapter 1. 
verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, not some spiritual blessings, not a few, blessed us. That's all of us. All of us have all the spiritual blessings. Not some of us have a few. God has no grandchildren. And He has no favorites. No grandchildren and no favorites. He's blessed us, all of us, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us as adoption, as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely, freely bestowed, abundantly overflowing, not a little bit, freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished, lavished upon us. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, the eyes of my heart, the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we may know what is the hope of our calling and the hope of His calling. What are the riches, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? The surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at the right hand of the God in the heavenly places, Far above all rule, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and far above every name that's named on earth. Not only today, but in the age to come. And he put all things, all things, in subjection under the feet of Christ and gave him as head of all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In chapter 2, verse 4, 
I'm using glasses that don't really focus very well. Because the ones I had fell out of my Bible on the way here somehow, way or another. So, I'm a little discombobulated. But it's the Word of God. We'll get through it. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love, which He loved us with, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him. And He seated us. Seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In order that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved by faith. And that is not of yourselves, is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one should boast, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for those who love him. The moment, the instant we're born again, we are placed in Christ. And where is Christ? He's at the right hand of the Father. The seat of power. He seated us with Him. Our life begins on a seat. In a seat. And by grace, we cannot walk into this sitting place. We can't earn it. I don't deserve it. We are placed in the heavenlies by grace. Our nature is to work, to strive, to to attain, to sweat. We go to work. Some people work. Some people don't. Some people sweat when they work. Even potters sweat, don't they, Doug? (laughs) So we work. We work up a sweat. And at the end of the day, we get our reward. We get paid. But in Christ, to seek or to strive to attain or to try to work our way towards something, we miss everything. It's not what we do, it's what He has done. God has blessed. It is finished. And at the very beginning of my Christian life, I'm invited to sit down and enjoy. Enjoy the view. From the heavenly seat of Christ. I don't understand all that. It's hard for me to comprehend. But this is what the word of God says about us. We, we advance, we grow, we mature in the Lord only as we learn to receive and accept this. That we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Our strength comes from sitting when walking or standing, we are exerting our own strength or, or, or carrying our own weight. But when sitting, our weight rests on something. When walking, we use up our energy and strength. But when we're seated, we gain strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord. Teach me to wait. We cease to carry the load of our life when we allow the Lord to carry it all. God worked six days in creation, it says. The last and the finest of His creation was Adam. Adam's first full day of life was the seventh day in which God rested. So Adam begins his life. How? Not by striving, not by working, but in rest. Resting in Christ, the Creator. God has done everything in Christ. All we have to do is step into His work by faith. Our Christian experience advances from from this. It's always on the basis of what God has already done. Everything proceeds from what He's already done. Romans 6, verse 3. Did you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And since he has won victory over death, so have we. So have we. We will not die. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet the life I once lived in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. God is not reworking we're re-putting together our old nature. It's gone. We're new creations. He's made a new creation. It's not fixing our old life. The secret of deliverance from sin is not to do anything, but to rest in what God has already done. We stumble when we try to walk before we have learned to sit down. God is waiting for us to cease to struggle, 
for us to get to the point where we lose hope and are at the point of despair. And then we yield to him and recognize what he's done. His delight is in giving. It's in giving. And that's where we start. We'll never stand until we learn to sit. Then Paul moves on in chapter 4 to talk about walking. Chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. Walk being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that we are walk no longer just as Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But we did not learn Christ in this way. This past Friday night, my my wife some of you know she's a politician. She's a county commissioner in Jackson County. So she had to go to this uh, meeting in Asheville, and I tagged along with her uh, Friday night and Saturday. So after the meeting Friday night, we went on a little walk of downtown Asheville, which is something I don't think I've ever done in my life, and I don't know if I'll ever do again. So we walked down to the square down near where they've taken Vance Monument down, or most of it. And there's a little park there. Most of you know where this is, if you've been over there. There was probably 25 people drumming on the drums there. And people in the middle of all those folks dancing in all kinds of form or fashion. And, I mean, it just hit both of us how pagan it just felt. You have this sense in your spirit that this, this, is, this is not good. This is not good. Sensuality, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance. And yet, by the, but for the grace of God, there go I. That would be me, if not for the grace of God. I might not be drumming or dancing in them, but I would have been an alcoholic or something. Maybe even dead. In fact, I went to my 20-year high school reunion many years ago. Many years ago, because I think we would have had our 50th uh, this uh, last year. And Gail was standing beside me, and this fella came up to me who I went to high school with and played Little League Baseball with, and he said... Are you Philip Woody? He said, I thought you'd be dead or in prison by now. <laughs> and I said, Gary, you're probably right. If not for the grace of God, I would probably have been in one of those two places. 
And I'm not exaggerating. But this culture we live in today seems to be more mean than it has been. Maybe it's just that it's more exposed and more Facebooked and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. But God calls us to walk in this meantime. We have to live our lives. This is the age in which we live. This is our hour. I can't change that. I didn't choose it. But here I am. Here you are. Here we are. God says walk. Five times in this chapter, Paul writes walk, walk, walk. Walk. I live my life. I get up in the morning. I get out of bed. I stand up. I put my shoes on. And I walk. I live my life. I go to work. I go to do this. I serve here. I volunteer there. I do whatever it is God's called us each and every one to do every day. That's our walk. It's our conduct. It's our order of behavior. It's our relationships. To one another and to the culture in which we live. How do we walk? We ought to walk worthy of his calling. In this chapter it says we should walk humbly. We should walk gently with patience, forbearance. We should sow peace. We should walk speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. We should walk tenderly, not callously. We should walk uh, without sin. We should walk in forgiveness. We should walk without stealing. We should walk to edify with our words. We should walk to put away everything that's evil. We should walk in kindness, forgiving, tenderhearted. This is our walk. And I don't need to expand on that anymore. But in our natural self, our flesh is opposed to these things. But only when we're rooted in Christ and seated in the heavenly securely and understand who we are in Christ, we have power to walk, to overcome sin and the world, to live in the world but not be of it. When we're seated with Christ, we see things from His viewpoint. From His viewpoint. Compassionate, yet never wavering from the truth. We sit forever with Jesus Christ that we might walk continuously before men. And as long as we are seated, we have power to walk. I remember some things from when I was a child, like many of you. Some things I've conveniently forgotten. Some things, I have a friend I play golf with, and he says, I'm not doing too good on my RAM. What was that? He said, randomly accessed memory. So, but I do remember in the third grade, there was this kind of a rival I had in in school in Mount Airy, North Carolina, at Bannertown Elementary School named Rodney Johnson. And uh, although I wouldn't admit it, 
at the time, I kind of had this crush on this red-haired girl named Martha Jo Short. And so did Rodney. So we'd go out on the playground, and during recess, they call it, we didn't have P.E., and uh, the teachers would kind of stand over the side and let us just do whatever. So uh, Rodney and I kind of came uh, sort of like enemies, I suppose you might say. And there was one moment I can remember particularly one day where I just kind of got like I'm going to challenge him, you know. I'm going to man up on him, be more manner, as my grandson says. So I did this little thing right here, and some of you may have done this. I took my toe and I went like this. And I drew a line in the sand or the dirt. And I said, I dare you to step across this line. Well, old Rodney went like that, stepped right across that line. Well, brave old me, right? What did I do? I went at him, right? Nope. I backed away. I said, all right, step across this line. I dare you better not. Steps across it again. And by this time, there's a crowd there, you know, like, you know, you better live up to whatever it is you're trying to pull off here. But I was a little bit worried because I wasn't sure I could take him. He wasn't that much bigger than me. So I stepped back again. Another line. And at at that moment, I kind of fell backwards and I realized I was against the side of the school building. I didn't have anywhere else to go. And he was just about to step forward when a teacher came over and it kind of put a stop to it in a... I was so happy she stepped in. (laughs) For Rodney's sake. (laughs) Yep. She she kept him from getting it. God says, stand. Stand. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against what is that word? The wiles of the devil. Stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers and world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, to stand Firm. Our strength for walking comes from being seated in the heavenlies with Christ our Lord at His right hand. Where we are assured and confident of His power that Christ has 
His authority. We're partakers of that. It's in the strength we have from resting with Jesus that prepares us and enables us to stand against the foe in the evil day. No one can enter this conflict that's around us unless we first learn the secret of sitting with Christ and thus being able to walk this earth in a practical holy, living out of the life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit's power. Deficiency in either of these will result in the possibility that the enemy might wound us or scar us or scare us or cause us to live in fear. Because he is a roaring lion, roaming the earth seeking whom he may devour. Looking for a weak point, a weak person. Looking for a chink in the armor. Looking for that scale in the dragon that's exposed where the arrow needs to go. If you're a hobbit lover. He is a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may injure. But he's a liar. He's a liar. The battle rages around us. What we see in flesh and blood, evil men, sinners, hostile kings, rulers, government officials, communists, atheists, pagans, drummers. Billy accepted. He's a holy drummer, a Christian drummer, a pagan drummer. Paul says our struggle's not against these. It's against wickedness and forces of evil. Demons. The one thing that's interested me about Hollywood is they make all these movies about demons and vultures and vampires and zombies and walking dead and all that stuff. But I would venture to say that if you ask many of those producers and directors or actors that they really, really, really believe that evil spirits actually existed, they say, well, no, of course not. Why are you making movies about all this stuff then? But the Bible says it's real. Real. Not pictured like maybe what Hollywood does, but it's real. But our struggle's not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers. It's against organized battalions of demons who come and set themselves against a people, a country, a nation, a city, a community, a life. This is our warfare. But Paul says, stand, stand your ground. It is not a command to invade enemy territory. Rather, it's the ground that Satan is disputing that belongs to us, that belongs to the Lord. Satan has no ground. He has no territory. He has, he's not even won anything. He may act like it. He may act like he's advancing and getting here and getting there and putting us on the on the defensive. But I say to you that it's all Christ. And it always has been and it always will be. It always will be. We don't struggle to get a foothold. 
We have security in the ground that belongs to us because it belongs to Jesus. Jesus fought offensively with Satan and won at Calvary so that we might struggle defensively to maintain what we already have. To keep possession of the victory that's already ours. We don't fight to win, we fight because we've already won. The overcomer rests in the victory given to him by the Lord God. When we fight to win, we've lost already. Because we've already got the victory. The ground's ours. And Paul says, stand in it. Stand in it. Don't erase the line anymore and back up and yield. Who's going to stand by me, God says. We are fully equipped. We have all we need. We are completely supplied by our commander-in-chief. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful For the destruction of fortresses and the pulling down of every stronghold. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Shall not. Mighty through God are our weapons. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. And one day Satan will finally bow down and admit his defeat. But until then, we, the victorious church, we will rise up. We will erase no more lines in the dirt. We are not going to step back anymore. We're not going to stand for evil pursuing us. We're going to stand our ground. We're going to stand in the gap. We will destroy every speculation, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. That takes, and we will take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The knee of Hollywood will bow. The knee of abortion will bow. The knee of terrorism will bow. The knee of culture cancel and wokeism will bow. At the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But the church can't stand unless it is awake. So arise. God is saying for us to arise, sleepers. Shake off our slumber. Take hold of the Word of God. Take hold of the blood of the Lamb. Take hold of the full armor of God. 
Take hold of the word of our testimony. Take hold of the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our King of kings and Lord of lords. For at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. He is Lord of the universe. He is Lord of the earth. He is Lord of America. This is my Father's world. This is my Father's world. So let's learn how to sit, walk, and let us stand. So would you stand? If you believe that there's something worth standing for, let's stand and proclaim. May the eyes of our hearts be open that we might know what is the hope of our calling. What are the riches of our inheritance? What is the surpassing greatness of His grace towards us who believe? May our eyes be opened to see that all is in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which God brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead when he seated him at God's own right hand, far above all rule, far above all authority, far above all power, far above all dominion, far above every name that is named on earth, now and forever. Father, we just pray in this moment that where we have fallen asleep, that you would stir us to, to alertness, to wake us up. And we proclaim over Macon County and Jackson County and every county around. We proclaim over the state of North Carolina. We proclaim over the South and the North and the East and the West. We proclaim over America. We will proclaim over this world in which we live. The mighty name of Jesus Christ. That the earth is yours, Lord. It's yours. And you have victory. And we are your people on this earth. Father, enable us to speak the truth and speak it in love. To speak it in compassion. Enable us to recognize that there, yet for the, for the grace of God, we go. But you've redeemed us. And you long to redeem a fallen world. May we be the people of God in this place, in this moment, who stand speaking the truth in love. Father, we open our eyes, we open our ears, we open our hearts to what's around us. Give us insight of how to walk and how to stand in this hour. We confess our sins. You said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then you will hear from heaven and you will forgive and heal our land. You will heal our land. 
We give you praise for that mighty promise. Father God, we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Does anyone have